Romans chapter 8, we will spend most of our time today just in a, a verse and a half um, of Romans chapter 8. Uh, Tammy and I have different love languages. Uh, you know, that term became popular 20, 30 years ago. Uh, how, how one receives love, how one shares love, how one expresses it um, is completely different. I, I express it with words, mostly, because that's just the easiest way. I tell her wonderful things about herself. She expresses it by acts of service, which is the hardest way. Does things all the time, all the time. It's an ongoing joke in our house that I change a light bulb and there's like a, uh, it's like a ticker tape parade. You know, look what I've done for the family. Is everyone taking notice? Check that switch, you know, and it's, and, yeah, in the meantime, uh, I'm watching football and Tammy's ironing a whole stack of clothes, right? I mean, that, it's just, it's hilarious to me and I, I've often been afraid that she'll figure it out, but she's in nursery right now, so let's keep it a secret. But, um, one of the great things that we can do as individuals in relationship is learn that, right? Learn that. How, how, do, I, how do I feel loved? And learn that about the other. How, how can I express love to you? Um, and, and one of the ways I think that's almost universal is are we willing to suffer? Right? It's easy to say things. It's easy to do things. Uh, we had a wealthy friend back in the day when I was in sales and, you know, when people would move in that younger age group and your friends would help you move. Remember that? I, I don't do that anymore. I, I, don't, I don't help you move. Um, it's on you. You move, you take care of it, right? You can borrow my truck, but that's it. Um, but this friend, we would always joke that he, he would just, he would like, uh, can I write a check instead and you find someone to do my share of the move? Um, but suffering, is it not true? When a parent show their love for a child and then willing to take pain, abuse, ingratitude, pay for camp, repaint your room, whatever it is, um, isn't that one way they show love and care through suffering? It also, suffering shows us what's important. What are you willing to suffer? For? What will you bear abuse and ridicule and what will you suffer for? Now in Romans 8, there's tons of uh, quotable verses, lots of them that we like, right? There's therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Wow, how wonderful. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. Wow, that's great. Let's put that on a billboard. You know what I haven't seen? I haven't seen 17B on a bumper sticker or in anybody's yard. And I know if you were here last week, uh, it's always this thing with the pastor. Like, I know there are people here last week that aren't here this week. I know there are people here this week that weren't here last week. And so I always try to make sure that it is context. So really all of chapter eight, actually, if you take the whole book of Romans, it's really interesting. You can, you can kind of talk about it at the beginning, the wrath of the father. Right, all of creation is fallen. Everything, the intentions of their hearts, wickedness, their best tries. They've 
They've replaced God and they've made their own gods, right? The, the provision of the Son. But now righteousness from God's been revealed. Righteousness by faith. Christ himself is our righteousness. And then in chapter 8, we have the, the Spirit. Now again, it's not quite that distinct because the Father, Son, and Spirit are always active in, in, in all of these areas. And we see it especially in Romans chapter 8. The Trinity just flows evenly. Father, Son, Spirit. Back and forth, the Apostle uh, refers to one's work, the applying of this one's work. Um, and, and so last week was, I'm just going to tell you, last week was an easy sermon. All right, It was a good sermon, but really I would have had to work hard to screw it up. Right? It was, it was wonderful. Last week, as we've broken down the Spirit, the first part of it, uh, the walking by the Spirit. In verses 5 to 8, the mind that is set on the things of the Spirit. Uh, verses 9 to 11, although you deal with indwelling sin, you have the indwelling Spirit of God. And then last week, the Spirit of adoption. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery in verse 14 to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then in verse 17, And if children, since we're children, if you're a Kuiper, this belongs to you. If you're a child of God, this belongs to you. In verse 17, If children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. And I ended there, kind of mid-sermon. I felt, I felt a bit guilty. But I knew I was going to get to this other part of 17. And I knew that it would have taken me 35 minutes to get to 17 anyway. And so I just, you have to break up the text. But just so you understand that this next part is attached to it. It is attached to it and it's important. That's one of the reasons I said I'm just going to take this week because it's kind of a transition. Uh, we think about God the Father, Son, and Spirit working in the lives of a person. Right? God the Father elects from eternity past. These people will belong to me. God the Son goes to earth, planet earth, lives and dies and rises again from the dead to rescue the people. God the Spirit applies that work. That's all of Romans kind of put together to where we are. In, in theological terms, you have justification uh, being declared righteous by God. It's part of the salvation. An adoption flows out of all of that. And now we're going to spend a few weeks after this week on, on what's called glorification. And glorification is really that, that final state of human beings in relationship with God the Father and the Son and the Spirit together. Glorification, becoming. You and I who look to Christ for our salvation, becoming what God intends for us to be as we dwell with Him and one another for eternity. Glorification. It's something that at times really should consume our minds. This wonderful promise of where we are going. That Christ's work has purpose, and we have realized in this life just a small bit of the purpose. Just really a, a small taste of, of, of the favor 
the guaranteed inheritance that Christ has won for us. And so this morning we come to verse 17, and we'll pick up. Yes, we are children of God, adopted children of God. Yes, we are heirs. Yes, we are co-heirs with Christ. We talked about last week that just the beauty of this, that, that in, in, the, in the family that, that our older brother Christ bears the weight of all of our sin in order that we would be adopted, in order that he would share his inheritance with us. What a beautiful picture. But then he had to attach this phrase. And this is where we've come. Romans 8, 17 to 18. Please stand for the reading of God's word. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. You may be seated. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Why here, Paul? Why now? It's in some sense that you get the, the, the glory and the wonder and the, just the excitement of that previous text. I have been saved and, and this inheritance is mine and I'm going to the Father and He loves me and, and, and what awaits me is so glorious. Oh, but wait. We're not there yet. We're not there yet. We have not realized, we have not taken hold of, we have not become that final state that is guaranteed through this work of Christ. But why here and why now? Well, I want you to understand that the Apostle Paul, one of the beautiful things that we have, we have so much literature about him, we have so many accounts of who he is and what he's done and how he cares, he is not just a theological teacher. He is not just giving some form of dead orthodoxy, right? It, it, it's not, and I hate it, but Presbyterians, you know, we get called the frozen chosen, right? It, it is not dead orthodoxy. It is teeming with pastoral insight. And the Apostle Paul is a pastor to the people that he writes. It, it, it is not lightly that Paul preached in Thessalonica. You know what happened in Thessalonica? You know what happened to Paul's followers? Those who followed the way? If you ever go visit Thessalonica, it's at the foot of Mount Olympus, there's a big lake, there's a, a white tower, and next to that white tower, Nero burned Christians regularly. It's not easy to go in and preach the gospel as it is here and now. Paul preached in Ephesus. Paul preached in Rome. Knowing many times that, that those who followed his teaching, those who entrusted their souls, their lives to Christ, would die. Know that taking the baptism of Christ, a 
upon themselves meant families would leave them. It's not just then. It happens in our world today. Francis Schaeffer, uh, the founder of Labrie, told a story about a, a young Jewish college student, a girl that came and gave her life to Christ. She, she let her folks know, and this was, she was in, they were in Sweden, um, she let her folks know back in the U.S., and the folks emptied her bank account before she returned and burned everything she owned, her Bible, her clothes, everything she owned. Why here? Why now? Because alongside of that beautiful adoption comes an identity with Christ. And we've had it easy in this country. We really had. We've had it so easy. Someone can become a Christian and they're not worried about losing their job. Someone can get baptized one Sunday and, and you know, their folks are going to be happy about it. They'll just look at each other. They may not believe what you believe, but they'll say, well, you know, at least they're not hurting anybody. Right? It's been super easy to be a Christian in the U.S. It, it, it may get harder. You know, it's an interesting thing to think about, isn't it, that I, I don't necessarily want it to get harder. What will happen if it gets harder? Well, they always say that when persecution comes, that the church grows, um, that, that what is important to the church becomes clear. Worship becomes more precious. Theology becomes more sure. Things get tested. It would appear that the enemy in the United States has learned that and has made it easy for a season to be a believer. But it's here right now because joining yourself to Christ doesn't just mean all the good, fun, easy stuff. It's, it's interesting hearing the kids talk about RYM. I remember as a youth pastor, I would bring kids back, and we did, uh, we did a lot of mission trips. And um, we would bring them back, and, and I remember actually one trip coming back from Nepal, and there was a young man who had just come alive. We were there almost three weeks. And he had just come alive. Like this whole personality just grew out of him as he was ministering to these poor orphans and lepers. Um, it, was, it was just an amazing thing to, to behold. And yet, as he got off the plane, I, 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 just, I just remember seeing this darkness come back over him. He was moving from a place where serving God amongst his people, he, he felt purpose, he felt joy. Uh, he was not going to a place to be entertained. He was going to a place to serve. But in, in that, he kind of found his relationship with God vibrant. And yet he was stepping back into a home where everything of Christ was pushed down. And I remember that. Kids coming from a, a wonderful experience and then heading back to school. I pray for our students even now as they head back to school. Uh, why here? Why now? Well, um, Paul wants to make it clear that we understand that we are not in the realm of glory yet. Uh, as C.S. Lewis puts it, we are not in the world of glory yet. We're in the world that hates God. We're in the world that crucified Jesus. So when we talk about the wonders of being adopted and identifying oneself with Jesus, we must consider the world's attitude towards Jesus. And that's what the apostle is saying. You're adopted into his family. You're identified with him. Do you expect to be treated differently than he was treated in this world? That's why it's here. That's why it's now. 
There's wonders of our salvation. There is wonders of our adoption. There is wonders of the inheritance that awaits us, but we are in a world that hates Jesus. And here's the other thing that's happened in the U.S. Jesus has been redefined, so he's hard to hate anymore. Whenever anything offensive comes up in the church, there's a whole group of Christians who, who try to take away that offense of the gospel. We don't want to offend anyone. We want to just tell them all the sweet and good stuff. Not that Jesus told his disciples, if you will follow me, take up your cross and follow me. There's a war going on between the world, the flesh, the devil, and God and his children. You are either on one side or you are on the other. There is no middle ground. There is no Switzerland. You are either a child of God or a child of this world. Many of you are tempted to think it's, it's okay. I don't want to get into the, into the fray. And, and that really is the mindset of someone defeated and someone given in. Someone who has said, I, it, it costs too much. People won't like me. Second Thessalonians, Paul writes to these Christians who were facing confiscation of their properties, death, persecutions. He writes in verse 4 of the second letter to the Thessalonians, we boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and the afflictions that you are enduring. Now, I brought kids into this world. I've heard Christian people say, I don't want to bring kids into this world. It's such a mess. I, I tell them that's just absolutely the wrong attitude. Christians need to have children. The gospel gets shared in life stories, one to another, in human relationships. Christians need to have children. I wish we would have had more. Um, but I'm too old now, so y'all have to carry that torch but did I want my kids to have Christian friends and good fun and great days at school? Of course I did. Right? I mean, of course that was my hope. Right? And, and did I face these temptations at times to make their life so easy so they wouldn't struggle because I remembered how hard it was? I hated school. I went to a school where drugs were so prevalent. I mean, I know you think, oh, you're an old guy. It's worse today. It was really bad then. Right? There was lots of bad things going on between teachers, students, on, on the bus with students. Just, you know, it was, it was awful. And I would come home, and I would weep as a seventh grader. Didn't let my brother see me. <laughs> but I would say, Mom, please don't make me go back. I'm the only one that knows the Lord. Did I want my kids to go through that? No, I didn't. But did I want them to be resilient? Yeah. I did. Did I want them to know that the world is not their friend? That you can't just trust people? Yeah. I really did. Here's the truth. And, and the sooner we get it to our children and ourselves, the better. Everyone will suffer. Just so you know. You bring a baby into this world, it's going to suffer. Everyone will suffer. Every human being will suffer. The real question is, what will it do to you? What will it do for you? Jordan, Luke, Anna, you'll be made fun of. 
for not participating in things that are sinful. For not passing on the dirty joke. There will be parties you're not going to get invited to. You may lose a spot on your team or you may lose some money or you may lose the praise of people. But what I didn't fear was that they would get beaten, locked up, and physically persecuted. When Paul writes to the Roman Christians, that's exactly what they faced. And so a loving pastoral heart wants to make sure when you take the mantle of Christ, you belong to his family, and the world hates his family. The sermon in the sentence this morning is when a Christian faces suffering for the name of Christ, rather than bringing into question their faith, salvation, adoption, or the truth claims, it confirms them. Now, Satan will tempt us when we are persecuted. Satan will tempt us uh, when Christianity is hard or life is just hard. He will whisper to us, God isn't there to rescue you from the pain. God is not capable. This Christianity thing is just a fairy tale. Uh, since he hasn't answered your prayers or rescue from this current suffering, you're not his. And so this text, which, which again will bridge this work of the Spirit uh, to glorification, I, I've called it the Spirit of Hope. You see, a Christian will undergo suffering not because they enjoy suffering, not undergo suffering as a, a badge or an honor to all the people around them, but a Christian will be able to undergo suffering. And you heard about the disciples, right? They, they, consi they, they considered themselves blessed that they were able to suffer for Christ. They're in the stocks and they're singing. A, a Christian will endure suffering because we have hope. A Christian is a person of hope. In, in the midst of the worst thing you can face, a Christian always has hope. Some of you have been praying for Tammy's friend this week who passed away. I think it was Monday she passed away. Um, now, I, I'm just telling you by personal, personal testimony, God brought her friend here for four days before she died. He did that. We look back now and we're like, thank you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much. He hadn't seen her friend in about 10 years. Kind of on a whim. Hey, let's get together. She shows up. They have four glorious days together, and her friend goes home and has a massive heart attack. What did we do? We gathered and we prayed and we begged our God to rescue her. But when she passed, we had hope. And in the midst of that crying and begging, in the midst of that, we had certainty that she belonged to the Lord. A Christian will endure suffering because they have hope, right? And isn't that, isn't that like common to the human condition? Um, and so I want to just kind of go through these three things and the three things about suffering that, that the apostle puts in here, but really it's all throughout the scripture. The first, in this life, suffering and glory go together. Right, suffering and glory go together. When you watch the Olympics and it's an individualized thing, right? or you watch American Idol, um, they always have the background story, right? And that background story is always like, I was, I was born without a mouth and now I'm a singer, <laughs> right? 
It's always something like that, okay? Like, like yeah, I, you know, I, whatever it is, you know, and it's always better if it's worse, right? It's like, I'm a championship skier, but I was only born with one foot, right? It just, it's always that way. It's just like, wow, wow, right? Suffering, the greater the suffering, the greater the glory. Athletes, right? We love to cheer them on the field, but we know they get there by suffering, by getting up early, by putting in their time, by not drinking milkshakes every day, right? We, we know they get there. And, and, and those that are close to them and see their training regimen, we cheer them on, right? And so people in this life, in humanity, in the world as it is, as it has fallen, suffering and glory will go together. It's interesting, in Matthew 10, Jesus sends out his disciples. And again, Jesus, as a loving shepherd, says to them, this is what you are to expect. I'm sending you out, he says in verse 16, as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be wise as serpents, innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they'll deliver you to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. You'll be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. Can you imagine if uh, when I was a youth pastor and we were doing a mission trip that I put that in the brochure? Hey, parents, hey, will, will you write a check so we can take your kids to Nepal? Here's, there's a good chance they'll be flogged. Right? There, there, there's a possibility that when they go out that they'll actually be taken before the authorities in a Hindu country for sharing the gospel. All right, who's going to sign up? Right? I mean, we've become so used to thinking that that would just be, there's no way. Right? We had, a, we had two shootings one year on our mission trips. Uh, two shootings. Um, both hit the vans. One was a rental van and one was our church van. Um, I didn't know we got, our church van got shot up until we took it to the body shop and that guy found uh, a slug in there. It's like, no, this wasn't a tire iron. These are, these are bullet holes. I'm like, oh. Right? Uh, the one shooting that shot out the windows in Chattanooga. And I had a mom call me. Hey, um, I want you to send my daughter home right now. I said, I, I think that would be a big mistake. I said, we've got, we've got, we've got great things going on. And, and, and your daughter really, really needs this. Um, she needs to be taken out of that environment and spend some time with some poor people and fall in love with some kids that don't have moms and dads. She needs this. Um, and I think if you take her away, you'll be robbing her of an opportunity. She said, okay, but can you guarantee my daughter's safety? And I said, no, ma'am, I, I can't. If I put her on a plane to fly her home, the plane may crash. If, we, uh, if I'm driving her to the airport, the van that I'm driving could get in a wreck. She goes, no, that's not what I mean. I said, I know that's not what you mean. But I can't guarantee your daughter's safety here or there. You're going to have to let her rest in the arms of a father. In this world, suffering and glory go together. Verse 21 of Matthew 10. Brother will deliver brother over to death and father his child and children will rise against their parents and have them put to death and you'll be hated by all for my name's sake. When you persecute, when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, not gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes, a disciple is not above his teacher. In Matthew 16, right after he, he tells his disciples he's going to be 
crucified. And Peter says, no, I'm not going to let it happen. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. And in verse 24, he says, if anyone would come after me, they deny themselves, they take up the cross, and they follow me. We see it in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John heal a man at the temple gate called Beautiful. And then they're arrested. Glory rarely ever comes without some form of suffering. It is in Christ's suffering and him enduring that we find our worth. I mean, it was nice last week to have that idea that we are co-heirs, we're receiving. But how do we know he really loves us? We know our Savior loves us because he suffered for us. In that passion of Christ, we find, we find glory, we find God's hatred for sin, we see God's dealing with it, but really we see God's love for us. He suffered in a way that we will never face because he loved us. Suffering, glory, go together. Now secondly, in verse 18, we see that suffering and glory, they characterize these two ages. Uh, this present age, he says in verse 18, the sufferings of this present time, infirmity, death, loss, pain, suffering, fallenness, physical, moral, relationship, suffering, pain, opposition. Uh, these all are happening in this present age. Jesus tells his disciples in John, I've said these things to you that you'll take heart in me because in this world you will have tribulation. But then there is an age to come. And so it's as if he, he can't dwell on it too much uh, because he doesn't, he doesn't really want to kind of make that his emphasis. But we have to know it. We have to know it. Our, our, our students, our kids are going to have Relationships. They're going to fall in love with people. And they're going to find, they're going to find that, that they're on a different path. Or they're going to fall in love with someone that will, will not love them back. Or they're going to choose a career path. And maybe five, six, seven years into it, they're going to be forced to do something that goes against their Christian faith. And the common thought in the world is, well, if it's your job, it's your job, you, you, you do it. They're going to face it. But they're not going to face what our Lord Jesus faced. It's the beauty of a gospel, even in the midst of this kind of harsh and scary verse. Christ faced it for us. The age to come, he says in verse 18, with glory that is to be revealed to us. So there are two ages he's talking about. There's this present e evil age, this, this season of humanity on planet Earth that is marked by suffering, by disease, by persecution, by hatred of God and his people. He goes, but there is an age to come. And he says, lastly, that it isn't even worth comparing. Verse 18 uh, and it's interesting, here, here he goes now to the per first person. Right here now, yeah, no, he's done this all throughout chapter 8. His sin, y'all sin, you, they, he, them. And then he comes and he's like, 
for I. This is how the Apostle Paul does it. This is how the Apostle Paul gets stoned for preaching the gospel, dragged outside a city and left for dead. And he gets up, and has breakfast, cleans himself up, and goes to the next city. This is how he does it. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed in uh, be revealed to us. And, and we're going to flesh all of that out, this beauty of glorification next week uh, in this beautiful text about uh, the new heaven and the new earth. Uh, but, but he says, as I, as I think about what I suffer in this present time, it isn't even worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. He writes the same thing in 2 Corinthians to the church there. We share in Christ's sufferings, he says in verse 5 of chapter 1. Uh, we share abundantly in his comfort. Our hope is for you to be unshaken. We know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. And so these two ages, the present age, the outer self is wasting away. Uh, he says this in 2 Corinthians, the age to come, the inward self is renewed. The present age is suffering. The age to come, there is glory beyond comparison. This present age, things are seen and they're transient. They don't last forever. The age to come, things unseen are eternal. In the present age, our afflictions are light and momentary. In the age to come, our glory is eternal. C.S. Lewis writes that pain insists upon being attended. Pain insists on being attended. Right? You don't think about your big toe. You don't get up in the morning and say, Hi, honey, guess what? My big toe feels great. You don't say that to your wife unless your big toe has looked like a plum for a week. Right? Pain insists upon being attended to. He goes on further and he says, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences, but he shouts in our pains. It is megaphone to rouse a deaf world. The path for a Christian will involve suffering and trial and persecution. It will. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't say, let's get everybody baptized, uh, verse 17a, and then we'll let them know that there may be some bad days as a Christian. He says, no, no. You're mine. You're adopted into my family. And as such, the world will treat you as the world treated me. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. I didn't do just mission trips with kids. We, uh, I did camping trips, and one of my favorites was a place in, Co in Colorado um, in the Wet Mountains, in the Sangre de Cristo Mountains, the Wet Mountain Range, uh, just kind of south and west of Pueblo, Colorado. A friend of mine had 450 acres, and right in the middle of that, the St. Charles River flowed down this really deep canyon. And it was so rocky at times, you couldn't even see the river. You could hear it, but these big boulders, the river was underneath it. And I would take kids uh, from St. Louis, and I took kids from Colorado, and we'd make the trek out. Now, here's the thing. You would get to the top of this canyon, and there really wasn't a trail down to the river. 
And so you had to make your way down this arduous trail, and then you're at about 8,500 feet. So, I mean, your lungs are gra gasping for air. Never forget this one year, I took these, <laughs> these boys, and there were these twins, and they had bags that were like this big, by like this, by like this, just these giant bags. Uh, I, I don't think he understood camping. So one of them had like a plug-in thing to blow up his mattress. I'm like, where are you gonna plug it into, a rock, you know? Uh, so we're going down this trail, and we're about halfway there, and one of the kids just looks at me, and his shoulders are red from the strap of that, and he just looks at me, and he goes, oh, I hate nature. <laughs> I just hate it. I'm like, here, let me, let me help you with your bag. So I helped him with his bag, and pretty much all of us were hating nature at that point. And then we get down to this area that I had been to many times, beautiful flat area where the water comes out from these rocks. And there's actually a small waterfall that, it, that the other trick I would play on is I would dive in the, into this pool and I would surface underneath this waterfall that's coming across a rock and I would wait to see how long middle school boys would think I would take to get me drowned before they start yelling and looking for me. Beautiful, just this beautiful place. Four days into it, I see that same kid and we're talking, and I'm like, man, isn't this place just, just wonderful? And he says, yeah, because I, I just don't ever want to leave. And I thought about that as I think about our walk as Christians. Uh, Bunyan calls it the pilgrim's progress. There is a purpose to the Christian life. And if we think that, that it, it is in this existence, in this day-to-day, that that's where Christ came so that we can have uh, health and wealth, and, and, and then we're, we really are missing out. We're missing out. But the suffering produces in us this longing. It reminds us this world is not our home, but we are pilgrims, that we are on a path, and one day we will come to that glorious place, and we will worship the Lord because we don't have to go back. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you that, Lord, you don't, you don't bait and switch your people. That suffering and glory are together, but you have told us that they are together. That Jesus told his disciples, this is what you will face, and yet what awaits you is not even worth comparing to what you suffer today. Lord, as we take this cup, will you instill upon us a certainty? Whatever man may do to me, whatever uh, life may throw at me, whatever cost I might endure for being adopted in the family of God, it doesn't compare to what it costs our Savior. And if our Savior, as your word says, gladly endured the cross, he knew, he experienced what we would receive either when we die or when you return again. Oh, Father, will you make us steadfast? Will you drive our roots deeper into your gospel? Will you make our church and our people a people they're not just willing to suffer, but Father, even expect it. There will be a cost 
when we identify as Christian. There will be a cost when we say, I follow Christ. I have entrusted my life to him. His law is above all man's law. May you, Father, work those truths in us that we too, like the apostles of old, might even be able to sing while we are put in stocks in the prison. Father, we can't do this by our own mental aptitude. We, we need you, Holy Spirit, to assure us that yes, we are your children. We are adopted. We are co-heirs. And yes, when we suffer, we suffer with Christ. Pray these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Abraham Kuyper went on to say, when the principles that run against your deepest convictions begin to win the day, then the battle is your calling and peace has become sin. You must, at the price of dearest peace, lay your convictions bare before friend and enemy with all the fire of your faith. So Paul, with his pastoral heart, tells the gospel to people knowing that it may cost them their life. And, and I put in the notes there that there are really three reasons for it. And I, I want to just briefly go to that before we go to communion. First of all, it's the truth. Right, if we tell people that they can live at peace with the world and live at peace in eternity, it's not the truth. We tell people they can, they can be in the, in the midst, they can be the Switzerland, it's not the truth. The second thing is that people are lost. The human beings that we know and love are lost. And the third thing is we know the wonderful ending. You see, when I took that boy down that that arduous hike, I knew where we were going. I knew it. He didn't. And at that moment, with all the sweat and the pain going on, he thought, nothing can be worth this. How much more so, O oh, Christian, do we go with our older brother to glory?